Thanks for doing that. Thanks for rolling out of your warm beds into your freezing vehicles. Um, Mine was so cold that I had to stand outside of my car. I have not cranked it in about three or four days and almost pulled my arm out of the socket trying to get the driver's side door open to even get here. So I was really wondering if if I was going to have to call an Uber driver to get me to the church gathered this morning. And I also have a deep respect for Christians in the north, in the great white north, who get up week in and week out throughout the winter months and come in and gather as the church uh, wherever they find themselves. Um, This morning, we do begin a new series, um, arguably the most critical series that we have done as a church. We're coming up on our four-year birthday at the beginning of February, by God's grace. And I would argue throughout the course of those four years, everything that we've talked about is of significance. But what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks just might shape where this church is going for years to come. Um, and, And so... I call it a DNA series for that purpose, and and maybe uh, the DNA series to end all DNA series, Um, one that's going to lay out the heart of what we're after as a church, so you could call it a vision casting series in that regard, Um, but it's not one that's up in the clouds. It's one that has to do with every person in this room individually, Um, and so uh, arguably there's a vision for every one of you who walk through this door over the course of the next four weeks as we dive into this stuff. Um, This is one of those series that will not make sense if you engage two out of four. And so uh, if you, even forward-thinking, know that, you know what, I'm going to be in the kids' wing uh, a week from now, two weeks from now, serving, uh, helping to point our kids to Jesus, or I've got a family trip coming up at the end of January, let me go ahead and, and present to you this call to action, this call to do the homework necessary, to, to put in the headphones, listen to the podcast, and engage, because... This is a train of thought that's going to carry us for the next four weeks that will not make sense if you, if you have a gap that's just left there in between weeks one and three or weeks two and four or weeks one and four or whatever it may be. And so you may get an obnoxious email every Monday or Tuesday whenever the sermon's uploaded in your inbox throughout the course of this series saying, hey, if you missed it, this is your opportunity to click on the link and, and go check this out. It's that critical. Um, in fact, if there's one time that I could... Put that before you, that call to action, the call to listen to every sermon in a sermon series and know that you would bite on that, that you would say, yes, this would be be it for me. Um, So that's how critical I think this is. I'll explain what's at stake in just a second, but before we do that, with a series title like The Everyday Gospel, it would probably make a whole lot of sense, would it not, if we actually begin by laying out what the gospel is, right? An explicit laying out of what we mean when we throw around that word. We throw around that word a lot. And so I want to be very clear this morning as we dive into this series, um, what the gospel is. And then we'll get to the everyday piece of that series title. Assuming the gospel is the first step on the path toward abandoning the gospel. And so let's don't assume anything this morning. And before I get into this, let me just throw this out there. As a litmus test, as we start talking about the gospel, I want you to, to wrestle with the question, Am I more excited about the pen holders on the back of the chairs this morning? Or am I more excited about what Jamie's talking about right now? Because those pen holders are awesome. They are a step up for this church. But they have nothing on the gospel. The, the, the word gospel come from, comes from the Greek word euangelion. It's where we get our word evangelism. It means good news. And so the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is not a 12-step program the gospel is news something actually happened something that we as christians believe is remarkably good but in order to make sense of the good news 
we have to understand the bad news. What does the good news speak into? But the problem is the Bible doesn't begin there either, does it? The bad news doesn't show up until Genesis 3. The Bible actually begins with the initial story of good news. And so we have to go back to the beginning. The Bible tells us in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. The glorious stage upon which his grand redemptive historical drama would play out. Complete with cosmos, uh, stage lighting hanging in the cosmos, you might say. Much of what we're going to talk about this morning goes back to that story series from a year ago. And so, uh, again, another opportunity to kind of uh, test yourself to see, did, it, did I grab hold of a lot of the, the stuff that we talked about a year ago? God created this, this divine theater, so to speak, with the art of a craftsman. And the re- original creation was, was one of beauty. It was one of harmony and wholeness playground for creatures of all shapes and sizes. And God created human beings as the crown and glory of his creation, as his image bearers. That's you, that's me, male and female, we were created. And the, the first human beings, our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given dominion by God over all of the other created things. There was no sin. Human beings were created with the purpose of enjoying God forever. That's the original good news. And yet when you get to Genesis 3, things start to come unraveled, do they not? Man, man was faced with a question, one of the most critical would-you-rathers that, that's ever been experienced throughout the course of human history. Would you rather live in paradise in submission to another or choose your own reign and lose that paradise? And we're told in Genesis 3 that rooted in the deception of the serpent Satan and the desire to be like God, our first parents Adam and Eve sinned against God. Cosmic treason, you might say. Imagine the devastation of that moment. Realizing that you don't feel like a God at all. Rather, you just feel dirty. You feel ashamed. They saw their own sin. They saw their own spiritual bankruptcy in that moment. And they did what most human beings do when they see their sin for what it is. They attempted to cover it up, and we've been doing it ever since, hiding behind anything and everything, afraid of being exposed, afraid of truly being known. The very joy for which Adam and Eve were created, namely to bask in the presence of God, is the very thing that they ran from like a couple of fugitives. What was once an open, honest relationship with God became a game of cosmic hide-and-go-seek, a game that man can never win because God knows our hiding spot before he, quote-unquote, closes his eyes and counts to ten, right? And so in his holiness, God responded, we're told, by executing judgment, by sentencing the guilty parties. There was no jury. God was judge and jury, according to Genesis 3. His character was at stake. To sweep crimes of cosmic treason against him under the rug would have made him unfit to remain the judge of the universe, at least a good judge. And so he pronounced a curse upon Satan as well as the man and the woman. Pain in childbearing, pain in working the land, a relational battle of the sexes. We've talked about this stuff, have we not? Even creation was cursed. The harmony of the original creation was lost. God's perfect utopian garden sanctuary was now filled with thorns and thistles. The ultimate sentence upon man, we're told, death. And not just physical death, though that's true, right? Every one of us will one day be ironically swallowed up by the very ground that we were created to exercise dominion over. Think about that. But also spiritual death. The umbilical cord between us and God was severed that day in the garden. And yet, we celebrated this at Christmas. In the midst of the curse, God made a glorious promise. 
A declaration that a serpent-crushing hero would come to save the day, to redeem a people for God. You might say, well, that's great and all, but what does that have to do with me? A story that, that happened several thousand years ago in a garden. I wasn't there. You weren't there. What does that have to do with us? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, it has everything to do with you and me. Paul leaves us with some extremely disturbing words in Romans chapter 5. He says this. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, namely Adam, and death came into the world through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. According to the Apostle Paul, sin came into the world through Adam, and death came into the world through sin. No indictment on humankind thus far with the first part of that verse in Romans 5, right? If only the verse ended there. But unfortunately, Paul goes on to say in the second half of that verse that death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Now Paul's making it very personal. Is he not? I mean, who do you think you are, Paul? Connecting me to Adam's crime. Paul's making the case that what happened in a garden so very long ago is not just Adam's story. It's not just Eve's story. It's your story. It's my story. I don't think any of us would argue with the first part of that phrase, and so death spread to all men. If you want to prove that statement wrong, all you have to do is not die. The problem with that is unless Jesus comes back or decides to do that Elijah thing and lift you up by the seat of your pants into heaven like the lifted Lorax, you're not going to escape death, right? We're all going to experience that. It's the second part of the phrase that's most bothersome to people. Death spread to all men because all sinned. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that you and I came into this broken world broken. I don't know about you, I don't like to hear that. What Paul says is as a result of Adam's sin, not only was the harmony of the original creation lost... But the rest of humanity is born into this inherited sinful state. Simply put, we're all sinners by nature and choice. If you don't believe that, just go hang out with my kids in the kids' wing for the next few minutes. The worst part of it all, we cannot clean ourselves up enough to cause God to look down and go, please, please be on my team. On our best day of being on our best, every one of us falls light years short of God's glory. I've used this example before. I'll use it again. It would be as if one of us, in attempting to jump up and touch the moon, could get three feet off of the ground as compared to others getting two feet off the ground. Now, we all know under that word picture, that example, there's nothing for the three-foot jumper to brag about, right? Because we're all millions of miles away from the goal of actually reaching up and touching the moon. Now take God's holiness in the spiritual realm as the standard and multiply out those millions of miles times infinity. That's the gap that stands between our sinfulness and God's holiness. It's really easy to look at other people and measure ourselves because we don't have to face that infinite gap when we do that. The good news of the gospel is not that salvation rests on our shoulders. If it were, we'd be doomed. The gospel is not about what you do or don't do. The gospel is about Jesus and what he's done. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. He's the one we celebrated during the Advent season that we just came out of. He's the hero of human history. The second person of the Trinity. Eternal God. All things were and are created by him, through him, and for him. And not only are all things created by him, all things are sustained by him. 
The universe is upheld by the word of Jesus' power, the Bible tells us. He is the incarnate word of God who, without ceasing to be God, became flesh and dwelt among man. It's everything we celebrated in December. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, thus fully God and fully man, the God-man who came on a, a rescue mission to save sinners like you and me. He lived a sinless life, the life that you and I can never live. He died a sinner's death, the death that you and I deserve to die as our substitute sin bearer. Our sins were put upon Jesus and he was punished in our place. And in this, he revealed God's love and preserved God's justice, both. Yet he didn't stay dead, the Bible tells us. He rose bodily from the dead, conquering those darkened dragons of Satan, sin, and death. And in doing so, he revealed that the Father was pleased with his sacrifice. He revealed that the Father accepted the payment for sin in full on our behalf. And as the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, having ascended to heaven, now sits at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning as the triumphant King of the universe, and interceding to God the Father on our behalf as our perfect high priest and advocate until he returns to set all things right. The good news of the gospel is not that you can get to work clawing your way to God. The good news of the gospel is that God bridged the gap that you and I could never bridge. We could never get to him, so he came to us. That is the message of Christmas that we just celebrated, making a way where there was no way. Man can only be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. By grace, God has done everything necessary to reconcile a people to himself and to one another. And for those who will acknowledge the futility of trusting in their own merits, and turn to Jesus, trusting in him, his perfect life, his atoning death, his life-giving resurrection, they shall be saved. Not only declared not guilty, but declared righteous before the God of the universe. That's unbelievable. Not because we are righteous, but because Jesus is for us. In Jesus Christ, we're not only saved from sin and death, but we're restored to our original purpose. The purpose that Adam and Eve were created for in the garden so long ago. To enjoy making much of God forever. He is the gift. God is the gospel. And if you're sitting in your seat right now and you go, I don't deserve that. How could that be? You're right. You don't deserve that. And that's good news. If it were about deserving, we'd still be united with Adam. Guilty, condemned. Praise be to God that he doesn't give us what we deserve, right? We're far more sinful than we ever imagined. The rabbit hole of sin and depravity goes far deeper than we, than we know in our lives. Yet, we're far more loved and accepted than we ever dared dream. We are declared God's beloved children with whom he is well pleased. Not because we've pleased him, but because Jesus has pleased him on our behalf. It's quite scandalous, is it not? Now here's the deal. Some of you maybe just checked out for the last few minutes because you're thinking, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, maybe multiple t-shirts in a youth group along the way. Or perhaps you're thinking, I'm glad you just included that section because there are some people who really need to hear that in this auditorium this morning. Not me, but people. And here's where we get to the everyday part of the series title. Here's where we get to the part about what's at stake over the course of the next four weeks. And not just the next four weeks, but, but throughout the seasons of life that are to come for each of us that inhabit this auditorium this morning. This auditorium, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you've ever Googled it, but this auditorium sits approximately 7.5 miles from the set of The Walking Dead, a TV show 
essentially about surviving a zombie apocalypse. Some of you guys are very familiar with the show. There, there's something about zombies and this idea of zombie apocalypses. Apocalypses, what is the plural of that? I don't know. But, but there's something about that that just enamors us these days. Here's the fascinating thing about the context in which we find ourselves. You do not have to travel 7.5 miles in order to encounter walkers. People walking in a zombie-like state through life. Even within the context of Christendom. Cultural Christians walking with sleep in their eyes, so to speak. Walkers, they're everywhere. And I'm not just talking about those who say they believe that God is real but live as though he isn't, though that's part of it. I'm not just talking about those who sing of the glory of God with hearts that are far from him, though that's part of it. I'm not just talking about those who profess to be alive while the the stench of Christendom's corpse lingers here in what was once known as the Bible Belt, but has now been deemed as the boneyard of Christianity, though that's part of it. I'm also talking about droves of people walking through life who really do love Jesus but are living without any real understanding of what it means to experience the power of the gospel in the midst of the everyday. And so please hear me. Hear me say this. Don't assume this series is for someone else. We can all stand to breathe a little more gospel air. Can we not? We can all stand to get a little more spiritual sleep out of our eyes. That's what this church is about. That's what this series is about. We're going to spend the next few weeks under the hood, so to speak. You may remember if you were around a year ago, I preached a sermon to open up 2016 entitled Resolute in the Gospel, much of which what we're talking about today. But, but we didn't get under the hood. We didn't talk about what it looks like to actually live and breathe the air of the gospel in the midst of the everyday rhythms of life. We didn't really go after the intricate details of how that happens, what it looks like to connect the dots to our own lives, our own circumstances, our own wiring, so to speak, our own struggles with sin and doubt and unbelief. And so that's where we're going for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about how the gospel actually matters in such a way that my hope is this, that as we work through this series, that you would find your heart awakened, no matter who you are in this room, that you would find your heart awakened to the beauty of the gospel in a way that, or to an extent that, it's never been before. That we would all experience the beauty of the gospel in a new way. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Yes, one verse is what we're going after this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in the row in front of you nearby. You can grab one of those Bibles and open up to this morning's passage. If you don't own a Bible or you have a translation that's difficult to understand, uh, you can take that Bible as the church's belated Christmas gift to you. We're not going to spend a great deal of time in this passage. The goal of this morning is just as much to explicitly declare uh, what the gospel is as much as anything else. And so don't panic if you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh no, is this the start of a 45-minute sermon? It's not, okay? Just breathe. It's okay. Um, I just want to spend the rest of this morning arguing for the necessity of this series, for the everyday part of, of this title, The Everyday Gospel. That's what I'm after And I want to leave you with a question that I hope you'll wrestle with as we leave this place this morning. Let's read the entirety of Paul's doxology here. Romans 16, 25 through 27. But I really, again, just want to focus on the first part of verse 25. Paul says this. 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, it might seem a little strange to have you open up your Bibles to the final words of Paul to the church in Rome to begin a sermon series. That is a little weird, is it not? But but it's in this brief little passage of Scripture that we encounter the truth that the gospel is about so much more than our conversion. If you're not a Christian, that's certainly part of it. Um, This series will have no relevance in your life until you come to the place of trusting Jesus as both Savior and Savior. And King, and Paul's most certainly concerned about that. The book of Romans is all about that. In fact, it's in this very same letter that Paul declares that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's in this very same letter that Paul declares that the wages of sin is death. It's in this very same letter that Paul declares that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everything you need for an evangelistic presentation can be found in this book of the Bible. What many of you know as the Romans road, maybe. And so if you're not a Christian, I would implore you to turn to Jesus this morning with nothing more than your sin and the empty hands of faith and to trust in him for salvation. That would be the first breath of the gospel that you ever take. But notice now, as Paul closes this letter, he makes this strange statement. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That according to the apostle Paul... The gospel not only saves us into God's family, the gospel strengthens us as God's family. The proclaiming of the person and work of Jesus Christ has a strengthening effect on the Christian. That word strengthen in the original Greek carries with it this idea of being firmly established or solidly planted or more deeply rooted, like a tree with roots that run deeper and deeper and deeper over the course of time, so that you're not swayed to and fro by anything and everything that comes your way in life. Let me say it this way. If you think that the gospel proclamation part of the service that happens here every week is nothing more than the evangelistic component, you're missing it. It's about so much more than that. According to the Apostle Paul, we all need the gospel The gospel is not just the entry ramp onto the highway of Christianity to be abandoned for bigger and better things once we're converted, once we're in the fast lane. Let me ask you this question. If someone were to ask you, what is the significance of the gospel in your life? What would you say? What would your answer to that question be? This is an answer that I I hear far too often. Jesus saved me, past tense. From sin's penalty, so that I can one day, future tense, be with him and enjoy him forever in the new heaven and earth. Now, that sounds pretty glorious, right? The problem is, is that it's not untrue. The problem is that it's incomplete. Is it imperative that we celebrate the, the past tense chapters of God's glorious work of awakening our souls from spiritual death to life as he converts us, as he brings us into his family? Yes and amen. Celebrate that till the cows come home. It's also imperative that we celebrate the future tense reality that one day Jesus will return and make everything sad untrue. No more tears, no more pain, no more sin and death. We celebrate those things. 
but we must not celebrate the glorious bookends of the gospel's work in our lives at the expense of everything in between those two bookends. The present tense reality of how the gospel works in our lives. Paul says here in verse 25 that the gospel is a means of strengthening you as a Christian. This tiny little verse, verse 25, helps to make a whole lot of sense of the beginning of this letter. The beginning of this book of the Bible. We're told that in Romans chapter 1 verse 7 that Paul is writing to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Okay, so he's writing to Christians. And these are the first words that Paul puts to paper after greeting these Christians in Rome. He says this, it's up on the screen. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Okay, so we're not just talking about those who are loved by God. We're not just talking about those who are called to be saints. We're talking about those who are loved by God, called to be saints, and have such a strong faith that everybody in the known world is talking about it. That's who Paul's writing to here. That's the letter to the Romans. He says this in verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul says, those of you with a strong faith called by God to be saints, loved by God, I got to get to you. I want to spend some time with you. Why? Verse 11, he goes on to say, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift To strengthen you. There's that word again, strengthen. Same word that we find in Romans 16, verse 25. Paul says, I want to impart a gift to you to strengthen you, to to cause the the, the roots to run deeper, to cause you to be firmly more established as a Christian. And he goes on to explain what that gift is, verse 12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That there's something about Faith in the person and work of Jesus shared with one another in the midst of the everyday life that has this way of strengthening. Paul says, I want to come to you, those with a strong faith, to strengthen your faith. He goes on to say, in verses 13 through 15 of Romans 1, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. If you're not a Christian, do you need to hear the gospel this morning? Absolutely. If you're a Christian in the midst of a darkened battle with sin and unbelief, do you need to be reminded of the gospel this morning? Yes and amen. Romans 1, if you're a Christian with such a strong faith that it's being proclaimed throughout the known world, South Metro Atlanta, do you need to be reminded of the gospel this morning? According to the Apostle Paul, the answer is yes. Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are loved by God, called to be saints with a strong faith in the city of Rome. And then for five chapters, he proceeds to take these Christians through a gospel 101 class. Let me ask you a question this morning. How would you respond if as soon as this service were over, I came up to you and I said, um, we're going to have a Gospel 101 class offered in the near future 
and I think you should sign up for it. How would you feel about that? Would that offend you? Would you think to yourself, there are other people that need a gospel 101 class, but certainly not me. Paul does the same thing with the saints in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, Christians, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Paul says, the big E on the eye chart, don't miss it, church. Jesus died for our sins and was raised gloriously from the dead. And that's not just a message for, for hood rats and temple worshipers. It's a message for God's people. Paul says, you received the gospel already? Great. Let me remind you of it. You're standing in the gospel right now? Glorious. Let me remind you of it. You're being saved by the gospel as we speak? Fantastic. Let me remind you of it. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul talk like that? I mean, it's counterintuitive to much of what we experience here in the culturally Christian South, right? Which is that the gospel is just a means of our conversion. Why would Paul talk like that? I'm pretty confident that it's because Paul knew the, the propensity of the human heart is to wander from that truth. To wander from the beauty of the gospel. That we oftentimes see the gospel as the shallow end of the kiddie pool. Something from which we graduate as we move into deeper theological waters. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because our hearts are fickle, and that's mine included, we need to be reminded of the gospel often. Moment by moment, like our next breath of air. We really could have called this series the every moment gospel. Paul says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Let me cast a vision by way of a question. What if you could go through your life so confident in God, so caught up in the wonder of what it means to be a son or daughter of the king, so saturated in the glorious gift of who he is for you, what he's done for you, and what he promises to do for you, that the things that cause your heart to wonder begin to lose their power, that the clawing after approval, control, comfort, and power begin to lose their significance, that the struggles with guilt and fear and shame begin to lose their crippling effect on your heart, Anybody want that? I know I do. How does that happen? According to the Apostle Paul, it happens by breathing the air of the gospel in the everyday rhythms of life. If you don't know what in the world that phrase means, breathing the air of the gospel in the everyday rhythms of life, if that language makes no sense to you, please, please stick around for the next few weeks. We're going to unearth everything that is involved in that particular Phrase, and I promise it'll make more sense in the weeks to come. And for those of us who already understand it to some extent, I think we'll see those roots further deepen in Paul's language as we're strengthened over the course of the next few weeks. But for now, I simply want to close our time this morning by posing a question. I said I was going to throw out a question that I hope you wrestle with this week. It's one that, that I need to wrestle with this week. Coming out of Romans 16, 25, the question is this. How are you being strengthened by the gospel?
Very simple question. If community groups were already starting up for the spring, this would not be one of those weeks where you'd get four or five questions to wrestle with. You'd get one. And this is it. How are you being strengthened by the gospel? In other words, how is the gospel presently, present tense, at work in your life? How is the gospel good news to you today? Based on what you're going through, based on the, the sin and doubt and unbelief that rears its ugly head in your life, in your heart, in your mind. And let me say this. If you can't readily answer that question, that's okay. That's what this whole series is about. Again, I invite you to come back for the next few weeks and, and to unearth what the answer to that question might actually look like for you. My hope is that everyone that inhabits this place over the course of January would walk away and to be able to answer that question that's up on the screen behind me with greater clarity. And that we would not only be able to answer that question, but take the gospel and use it, wield it as a weapon in the midst of those moments when our heart is just not buying into, not believing, when, when that propensity to wander becomes reality for us. By the end of this series, let me just lift the hood for a second, let you know where we're going. By the end of this series, my hope is that we all have a better understanding of our present need for the gospel in the midst of present sin and unbelief and doubt and present circumstances that have presented themselves to us, that we would all have a better understanding of the facets of the gospel that are meant to speak to those needs. And so let me just say this. When we talked about the gospel earlier this morning, we barely scratched the surface. We're, we're going to unpack the reality that the gospel is actually a multifaceted jewel, that it, as you turn it, you see a new beautiful facet of truth that's meant to speak to a unique challenge in the Christian life. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how to preach the gospel to ourselves, what that actually means. What does that look like? That sounds like some sort of up in the clouds, nebulous, theoretical statement, right? Preach the gospel to yourself. Just another way for us to throw the word gospel into a phrase, but it's not. There's something to that. We're going to unearth what that is, how to do that. We're going to unearth the indispensability of the church in rallying around us. This is not a call to something that you can do in isolation, nor were you meant to. The strengthening happens in community. We're going to talk about that. And lastly, we're going to talk about how to live out this everyday gospel in a way that impacts our, our living as Christian missionaries on the ground. And, and I think you'll begin to see that every cup of coffee that you have with every individual, Christian or not, begins to, to become that much more robust, that, that, that much more uh, nuanced in terms of how the gospel is meant to work over that cup of coffee with that person. So that hopefully you as a missionary, you, you get more excited. You're like there's, there's something to this. There, there are different ways to go about declaring the gospel in ways that speak to the hearts of different people based on where they are. Does it change the gospel? No, of course not. But there is a contextualization of, of the evangelistic message that we proclaim uh, that, that will be unearthed as we dive into this series over the next few weeks. And you go, we're going to cover all that in three weeks? Are you crazy, Jamie? Yep, I'm crazy. So put on your seatbelts. We're going to do this, and it's going to be awesome. And by the end of this, God is going to do some sweet things in every heart uh, in this room and, and those who aren't able to be with us this morning, including mine by his grace.
In a moment, we're going to take communion. We do that here by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup. If you're a Christian, this meal is for you. As we prepare to, to do that, um, in some sense, I was attempting to be funny when I said that I want you to wrestle with whether or not you love the pen holders more than the gospel. Um, but to some degree, there's a, a legitimacy to that question. I want you to, to wrestle with, to ask yourself, am I in awe of the gospel? Is, is the good news of who Jesus is and, and what he's accomplished for me, is my heart awakened to that? Maybe not in this very moment as you sit in your seat. Maybe you find yourself in a little bit of a slumber. Maybe it's hard to roll out of bed this morning because it's cold and and uh, just like your car engine probably this morning, it's taking a little bit longer for your, your mind and heart to rev up, to warm up. But when you look at, at the, the stretch of the last few days, the last few weeks, the last few months, something that we could call recent in your life, have you experienced the stirrings with respect to the beauty and wonder of the gospel? Sit with that as we prepare to receive communion this morning. Sit with the question of how, how am I being strengthened by the gospel? If you don't know how to answer that question, ask God to help you over the next few weeks to sift through what this means. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but I think one of the best environments that you can sort this stuff out is in the context of our community groups. And so I would implore you to get connected to one of those as we get ready to launch those in the next few weeks. And again, if you're not a Christian, I implore you to turn to Jesus and take your first breath of gospel air this morning. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.